Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. This is Mike, and today I'm joined by a special guest. You've heard from her before. It's the amazing Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire and the Dice Tower. Liz, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's always fun to be back on this podcast. Yeah, you are one of our favorites. Your family, <laughs> just like Jason Perez <laughs> and Jeremy Howard, and you know our our crew of amazing people. Uh, so happy to have you on again. And uh, for this week, we're doing something we have never done before. Peter and I reviewed Too Many Bones, the Chip Theory Games game. Too Many Bones. We reviewed it in episode eight on this podcast back when it was called uh, the Co-op Cast before Colin and Steve joined us and before YouTube was even in my mind at all. This was back in September 3rd, 2017. It's almost exactly three years ago. Uh, What were you doing three years ago, Liz? Three years ago, I was about to start my YouTube channel, actually. It's going to turn three in October. So we're getting kind of close to that time of year. Hey, look at that. So we started our podcast close to when you started your channel. That's awesome. I didn't know that. So yeah, so uh, we reviewed it back then. And my opinions have changed on Too Many Bones. We'll hear about how uh, as we get into the episode. And Liz, you've never gotten to hear her opinions on it, at least in this forum. Although if you look at the Beyond Solitaire YouTube channel, you probably have an inkling (laughs) about how she feels about the game. (laughs) So we're going to be joined by a third voice on this podcast, and that is Mike from the past. I'm going to play some clips of what I said back then about Too Many Bones, and Liz and I are going to react. So (laughs) we'll uh, see how that goes. Yes, I'm actually excited to see how this time travel thing works. Yes, I, I've seen a lot of movies about it. Uh, Back to the Future is definitely <laughs> one that taught me a lot. So, <laughs> And then uh, at the end of the episode, instead of doing a design discussion, if you didn't know, Liz has started. And is uh, How many episodes in are you as of this recording, Liz? Um, For my podcast? 14. Yes. 14, uh, yeah. 14 today, yeah. Yeah, so so Liz has uh, started her own podcast called the Beyond Solitaire, just Beyond Solitaire. I was going to give it some fake name there. And it is unbelievably good. So we're going to talk about the process of starting a podcast and uh, how that's been going and just kind of share how cool it is. If you're not listening to Liz's podcast, feel free to pause this one and go find it because it's great. But before we get to all of that, we'd like to thank some of our Patreon supporters. This week, we are thanking Dennis Sasson, who is a co-op MVP, Tian Nguyen, who is a co-op lover, and Joshua Thomas, who is a co-op champion. So to the three of you and to all of our amazing Patreon supporters, thank you so much for what you do to help us pay for the podcasting fees, for games we cover, for conventions, whenever, you know, those happen again. And even if you can't support us through Patreon, uh, feel free to leave a review on iTunes, subscribe to the YouTube channel, join us on the Slack. We love interacting with you in whatever way we can. So thank you to everyone. And hey, this is Mike from the future bursting into the Patreon section. That's right, we have three mics on this podcast. One of the Patreon reward tiers gives patrons the option of sending us a message to be read on the air. And we got a really, really sweet one from Sam that I'm going to read right now. I've been a fan of One Stop Co-op Shop since 2017. I found the channel shortly after returning from a deployment to the Middle East, during which time my family situation had really deteriorated at home. After returning and trying to pick up the pieces, board gaming in general, and One Stop Co-op Shop in particular, helped give me a way to recharge my batteries and continue to do what is best for my kids, my family, and our country during very difficult times. 
I remember very fondly watching Colin play through Spirit Island, Gloom of Killforth, Commissioned, and many other games he introduced me to, as well as the tremendous and well-deserved expansion of the channel, with Mike, Berndt, and Steve continuing the excellence. Since then, things have greatly improved, and I'm glad to finally be in a position to be able to give back to the channel. Thank you for the years of providing quality entertainment, and here's to many more years to come. Sam, a huge thank you for that sweet and heartfelt message. And I'm so glad that things are looking up and that our little channel and board games in general helped you get through some tough times. Now, let's get back to the episode. All right, so Liz, before we get into the past Mike versus present Mike debate, how do you feel about Too Many Bones? Not in detail, because we'll get to that with the review, but how do you feel about it compared to Hoplomachus and Cloudspire? How would you rank the, uh, the three Chip Theory big releases so far? All right, so I know that you and I differ on this, or at least have in the past. Uh, Cloudspire is actually my least favorite of the three for solo. I think it's a brilliant game. There's a lot of cool stuff going on with it. But I also dislike that it doesn't have the same pick-up-and-play elements that Hoplo and, you know, Too Many Bones in its way have. So for me, um, you know, it's it's good, but it's not my favorite. When it comes to Hoplomachus and Too Many Bones, hey, you know, I love Hoplo so much, but in terms of sheer depth of play and replayability, I don't know if you can beat Too Many Bones. Wait, I, I was sure you were going to say Hoplo is your number one. Are you saying Too Many Bones is above it for you? I've been playing it so much recently that I don't know. Oh, man. Look at you, Liz. This is all this is a, a big day for revelations and changed opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I avoided Too Many Bones for a long time. Like, I had a copy of it. I kind of looked at it. I wasn't really committed to it. You know, I think I needed to just be ready to play it. Does that make sense? No, it does. I'm going to say very similar things. Yeah, I mean, the game is a commitment. And not that I normally shy away from that. I'm not saying that I'm afraid of of game commitment. Lord knows. But, um, you know, I just remember trying to learn it a couple times thinking like, eh, I don't want to do this. And then I really got into it and, you know, got over the, that first hurdle and it was awesome. Yes. Yeah. Whereas I think Hoplo is probably my third, although, Hey, when Victorum comes out, who knows <laughs> how things will stand at that point. And then I think I would have said Cloudspire was first, but I might be in a similar place as you too many bones might have jumped ahead of it with a lot more play. It's definitely a game that like lets you explore things and kind of enjoy deeper and deeper options as you go along. But hey, we'll get to all of that. Let's uh, take a little trip down memory lane to 2017. We're going to hear my top five from back then. And instead of the normal review format where Liz and I give our own top fives, we're just going to kind of respond to Mike in his perhaps uh, you know foolish ways and opinions from back then. But I should say, if you don't know what Too Many Bones is... I apologize already because I just kind of jumped in. Uh, Too Many Bones is a one to four player adventure game from Chip Theory Games. You control one to four of these guys called Gearlocks, and you are trying to defeat a tyrant, kind of this boss, through a series of days. Each day you draw one of these encounter cards. Uh, Often it'll make you fight a battle. It'll often give you like a little story and choices you can make. And uh, the big thing is your characters are chips on a battle board. The enemies are chips on a battle board. But each of the gear locks has a fully unique set of dice that they level into, giving you like kind of these cool skills. Each have their own specialties. And then each of the uh, tyrants has their own special stuff. And they have a different mix of enemies you have to face. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, mostly a tactical combat game with some like adventuring and kind of storytelling going on as well. 
But let's hear from Mike of the past. Mike, what did you think was your number five for Too Many Bones in 2017? Right, so my number five is a mix, uh, not a, not necessarily a pro or a con, and that's the component quality of the game. So the reason it's mixed, the poker chips are great. They feel really good in your hand. Uh, we don't have the deluxe health chips, but even the basic red chips still feel good. The artwork is generally attractive. I like the sort of black and white effect they went with with the enemies. I think that's pretty cool. And all the boards, they're basically like mouse pad material if uh, you haven't seen them before. And they feel really nice. So that's all good. The negatives I have, I don't like the cards. They're kind of like a plastic card. Number one, you can't really shuffle them. Number two, I don't really like how they feel in my hand. I do prefer like traditional cards. Um, And also... The, the printing is a little bit dark on them. I don't know if that's just an effect of the plastic cards, but I have trouble reading them sometimes. And then uh, they also have these uh, these like little player sheets that uh, are guides to the enemy powers and the character powers. And those are also like a plastic paper kind of a thing. And I don't know. I, I was a little bit weird about by all of that. I'm fine with just cardboard and uh, and like regular cards. I think they sort of went above and beyond on those components unnecessarily. And actually, I like them less than the typical type of things. So uh, apparently, I don't like things that aren't made of cardboard. And <laughs> I had a lot of issues with too many bones and the components. Uh, Liz, how do you find the components in the game? So I actually like the components. I don't mind the cards because you don't shuffle them a whole lot. And it's not so I don't like to handle plastic cards if it's like my card hand. Does that make sense? But, um, you know, if you're just drawing cards off an event deck or keeping some loot, it's not a big deal. I do agree that in some cases the print is too dark. Some of the color contrasts are not good. I feel like that was especially a problem in the first edition. Because I I know that Peter's copy was the one I was playing back then. And he had been a like initial uh, Kickstarter backer. And I feel like it was really, really dark back then. And they have improved on it. But I don't know. I haven't seen like the most recent uh, printings of the core game specifically. But I know like in my copy of Undertow, for example, I have no problem reading anything and it's not dark at all to me. No. Yeah. So so I feel like that was something they worked out. And maybe I was just getting a little bit too much on their case for like the although, you know, to be fair, your first printing should be good quality. But I, I kind of remember I might be wrong on this. I feel like chip theory had a deal where you could get all new cards when they did the next printing. So you didn't have to like kind of deal with the darker cards. I'm pretty sure they made that right in one way or another. They're usually good about that. I mean, the fact is that chip theory has component quality that can't be beat. You know, something like a color error is something that they would fix. I mean, the chips are great. Uh, The neoprene is great. Um, The battle mats and the, you know, the gear lock mats and just everything is so cush. I mean, <laughs> Could you, I really, do, do you want to define that for us, Liz? Yeah, like the job that I had at my private school for a while back was a cush job. It's just fancy <laughs> and nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th- there's really nothing serious for me to complain about with chip theory quality ever. Um, I feel like it's worth the money. Yeah, I, I apparently had a problem with their components, but yeah, I, I definitely like all of it now. I mean, I, I agree with you. I guess the plastic cards for this one and for Cloudspire are like a little weird to shuffle sometimes. 
But for pretty much all my games, I do like the deal shuffle instead of riffle shuffling anyway. So whatever. <laughs> all right. So Mike was kind of nitpicking with number five. I feel like I wouldn't bring up components at all at this point because there's enough like kind of design elements to talk about. But let's hear what I had to say for number four. My number four, which is a negative, is the uh, the rules for the game and how clear they are. There's been a lot if anyone's gone on a BGG or reddit or anything and looked at the game there's a lot of stuff about how uh the rules are very tough and a lot of things are not defined which i completely agree with uh, yeah as a as a first time adopter of the game especially if you didn't go online to look up uh faqs and that kind of stuff i just think it could be a really negative experience Ooh, okay so i do think that while the basic game structure does make sense because too many bones has so many complexities there are just places where you run into trouble. The good news is that Chip3 now has Shannon Wedge, who knows the rules probably better than designers right now. Oh, absolutely. There's so many times I'll see like her respond to a question. That one of the guys will be like, yeah, Shannon's right, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, no, she knows. She knows. Uh, they, there's a very active Discord for Too Many Bones that I'm part of and a Facebook group. I mean, that doesn't really answer the question. I, I do believe that Too Many Bones is difficult to get your head around when you're by yourself with no one to consult. You know, that's actually one of the reasons that I had such a hard time on ramping onto it myself because I'm always learning games. It's a constant process for me. And sometimes if something just feels like it's going to be a lot of work, I'm like, yeah, I'll do it later. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm glad that I took the time with Too Many Bones, but it does take time. I'm actually about to start a Dr. D Teaches tutorial for it. Nice. So uh, it'll be that and Mage Knight, I guess, are the two you'll have done so far, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's one of those games that is great, but it warrants an in-depth rules look something a little bit more than just a playthrough that's great liz yeah so if you don't know uh the dr d teaches series liz started with mage knight uh, fairly recently it's on her beyond solitaire youtube channel uh, go check it out it's really really good stuff like diving into uh nuanced details and kind of a uh, strategy things about these games yeah it's something that i never thought i would do but i did it for mage knight liked it i've been looking for my next game to try it with and it's actually going to be tmb so nice yeah i'm, I'm excited about that and yeah, I mean, I'll say I totally agree with what Liz said in terms of the rules. I know we were playing again with the first edition and even from first to like second printing, they made the rules better. And I think the undertow rules are even better than the core game rules, but it's still not great. And I think I think even Chip Theory Games would at this point agree that they have not been the best at rules, clarity and organization in the past. I say I think they would agree because... Uh, for those who didn't see, in the Ankar's Plunder uh, Kickstarter for Cloudspire, which was the expansion to Cloudspire, they announced that they have hired new people, or at least, you know, uh, contracted with new people, who are going to basically redo the Cloudspire rulebook, redo, like, the uh, player aids, and they had an option in there to get the redone stuff, and they showed kind of a uh, preview of what the new graphic design and organization looks like, and I found it a vast improvement. So I'm really excited to see, like, Hoppelmachus Victorum, how that kind of improves things, uh, and like the new stuff for Cloudspire. Now, Too Many Bones has so much content and no plans that I know of to kind of reboot it like they're doing with Hoplomachus. So I don't know if we'll ever get that kind of reboot. But like Liz said, Shannon is amazing. The community is amazing. And it is just a tough one. Like every single encounter card, because it's like unique effects and there's so much unique stuff going on, it has the potential to have rules questions and things that need clarifying. So 
it's kind of tough to get around in the end. Yeah. And for me, that also happens with some of the gear locks. So, you know, uh, stanza is a lot of fun to play, but learning to play stanza, I did not find very fun. Oh my gosh. Stanza. <laughs> yeah. For, <laughs> for those who don't know, stanza is one of the two core ones in Undertow. And by the way, uh, just to plug it, go watch uh, Liz's video. She went through every single gear lock that's been released so far, including several that I haven't played yet. Uh, Dart and the Lab Rats. And yeah, stanza is like this musical based gear lock. She's awesome, but definitely challenging. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, Too Many Bones, I think my big theme about it is it's amazing if you put the time in and you're patient. And then once you get it, it's like, wow, this is amazing. Oh, my God. But, you know, Hoplomonchus, you open the box and a few minutes you're going and it's like, oh, Titans, Gladiators. Yeah. Um, but Too Many Bones, it's, it's a commitment to a game. And I would say Cloud Spire is the same and even worse in a way. I think Too Many Bones might need you to play more times, but Cloud Spire takes longer to play. And thus, I think you yeah. might fall flat the first times you play it. All right, so uh, Mike from the past, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is about the uh, encounter card system. So this is a mixed one for me, kind of pro, kind of con. On the pro side, uh, I, I like that you just build a little encounter deck at the beginning so you can have kind of uh, unique experiences there. And they have different encounter cards for solo or multiplayer. So you get different uh, stories played there. And there are some really cool, like, kind of special circumstances they throw you uh, in the encounter cards in terms of uh, the choices you have to make and the things that affect combat. That being said, a lot of times the choices are super obvious. So it's like, why would you ever make the other choice unless you just want to make the game hard for yourself? And the writing... Uh, as a writer myself, I find fairly mediocre, and I don't like... They just throw you into an event. It's like, you're captured, and it doesn't really lead to a cohesive story. Like, after I just won the last battle where I was on a bridge, it's like, hey, you're captured by enemies, and it, it just, it, it, it's kind of jarring sometimes. So, although I like some things about the encounter cards, in terms of the actual thematic immersion and, like, really telling a story through them, I think that was a bit of a failure. Wow, uh, I, I was... A little tool there, wasn't I? <laughs> I was a bit of a jerk. Uh, I will say, for the record, I think the writing is quite good. It's definitely better than anything I've written. So, uh, yeah, Mike, for the past, uh, be, be nicer. <laughs> what do you think, Liz? How do you feel about the encounter card system, which is kind of like a core aspect of the game? You know what's interesting is I actually think this is one of the things that another aspect of Too Many Bones that made me feel a little bit gun-shy at first. I was worried that I was going to find the lore and the story a little bit cringe. But then I got into it and I really didn't. I enjoy it a lot. It's fun. It's got a great spirit to it. You know, it really does feel sort of adventurous and, you know, it's very enjoyable. And I actually don't think that the event cards choices are that obvious all the time, especially if you're really hurting, you know, and you need to deal with some stuff in your party. You know, you might make different decisions depending on how you're doing within the game. I mean, I actually like the event cards quite a bit. I like that they're different. I like the expansions add some different ones in so they get a little bit fresh. Uh, I think it can be a little bit tiring to have the same three starting ones, but there are even things that solve that now, so no problem. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the one part where I do think there may be a little bit uh, samey is in the original core game, like you said, Liz, you have the exact same three every time. Then Undertow, they already fixed that. They, it comes with a whole bunch of alternate like first days. You don't see the same stuff. I Yeah, I don't agree with my past self at all. Like you, I think there are definitely good choices to be made here. And... You know, it's funny, Peter in the podcast three years ago, when I made that point, he compared it to The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, where you have like these very episodic adventures. And yes, there's like a little lead up to them happening, 
But really, when you look at them, they're kind of like separate things. It's like, hey, now there's trolls. Hey, now there's goblins. Hey, now there's spiders. You don't necessarily need like a cohesive story for an adventure. You face these different obstacles on your way to your goal. So I I think at this point, I agree with him. I don't feel like when I'm reading the storyline in Too Many Bones that it's like this herky-jerky thing. I just kind of have fun with the ride and the the goofy and exciting and terrible things that happen to my uh, adventurers on their way to this uh, tyrant they need to fight, you know? Yeah, the only thing I might find a little herky-jerky is if you mix up the undertow stuff with the non-undertow stuff, so you switch settings really fast. So sometimes there's water stuff and sometimes there's not. I'm good for it, honestly. Like, it doesn't... It's... It's it's there to be enjoyed. And also for me, frankly, like the story part is cute and it's fun, but that's not really where the heart of the game is for me. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I definitely if I need to play more quickly, I will skip the story and just jump right to the back where all the uh, mechanical text is. So uh, let's move on to Mike from the past. Number two, what you got? What's your number two, Peter? All right. So my number two is I really like combat in this game. Man, that was my number two uh, as well. I think Chip Theory Games, this is their wheelhouse. Between this and Hoplomachus, I think they are really good at simplistic tactical systems that allow for a lot of interesting choices within a fairly simple framework. I don't think uh, the tactics are as good here as Hoplomachus, but that's just a consequence of a simpler board. And even though there are a lot of varieties of enemies, they, they do feel fairly similar a lot of the time. But yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, Peter. Really good initiative system. I like that the AI is quick, but also gives you some options. Nice variety of enemy powers. It, it's a lot of fun. Ooh, that's a tough one. So, okay. I like the Hoplomachus tactile game a lot, but the fact of the matter is that even among differing factions, you're going to run into the same types of tactics again and again. You know, I mean, each each faction has its own like set of special skills, but a lot of your regular units aren't that special. I think tactically, I might have to give it to too many bones because the enemies all work so differently and there's so many interesting minions. The tyrants are all really interesting. And then in combination with that, depending on what gear locks you're playing, you can really have some puzzles as to how to best deploy your skills and how to move around that battle mat. I mean, I really think too many bones has a lot to offer in terms of of tactical combat. And if anything, I would actually say that that's where the most exciting part of the game is because the best part of the game is getting cool skills and then trying them out. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. I'm trying to think why I might have said this. I feel like I played more of my Too Many Bones games back in the day solo. And I do think the tactics are less interesting solo than uh, playing like two-handed solo or with uh, two or more players. Because, you know, it's, it's a tactical map game. So if you only have a single person and every enemy is charging right towards that person, there's still some cool stuff to do, but it's not as exciting. And I also think, I think at this point I had only played Hoplomachus uh, Origins. Is that what it's called? The third, like, small set they released? Yeah, which isn't my favorite one in the series. I do like it. It's not my favorite either, but it does have the distinction of having by far the most diverse units because, like, they have all those, like, random heroes and things. You don't just see the exact same, like, attackers and uh, archers that you do in kind of, like, the core and Rise of Rome for the majority of units. So I think I might have had a uh, <laughs> a twisted sense of how tactically deep Hoplo was. I still like Hoplo a ton. Hoplo is great. But I, I definitely think... I mean, I'm, I'm glad I had a pro. Th- thank God I had something good about to say about this game <laughs> that is now one of my favorites. But, uh, yeah, Hoplomachus, I think, is is good, but not as good, just like you said. 
Shame on you. No, actually, it is interesting that you bring up the uh, the solo versus two-handed. Too, too Many Bones is perfectly soloable, and that can be fun, but I really do prefer to play with two gear locks. I think that having two and interplaying their skills and moving two characters on the board is a lot more interesting. It, it might be a little harder in some ways because of the scaling. Yeah, I, I think it is, but but I like it hard, and they have they have nice ways to adjust the difficulty. Yeah, honestly, I I don't think like true solo or whatever you want to call it, single gear lock play is the best way to play the game. And no. in a way, that's kind of unfortunate because they clearly put a ton of energy into that. They have an entire separate deck of encounter cards just for solo play. And that almost, I think, encourages the single player to play it solo. And clearly in my case, and I think for a lot of people, that's not going to show you the best the game has to offer if that's the main way you're playing for a while. I do prefer solo when I'm trying to learn a new gear lock. Sure, sure. That That's very different. Unless uh, <laughs> when I was trying to learn Tink, I think uh, true solo would have murdered me. So <laughs> I, threw, oh my God. I threw in somebody to support him. <laughs> you know, Tink is rough. I really, I mean, he's it's an amazing character. The build for Tink is really interesting. So for those of you who have not played too many buzz, Tink is this gear lock who is kind of wimpy and squishy, but he builds these bots that get different attachments and can do different things and move around. And so you have to defend yourself and also build the best bots that you can and, you know, keep the batteries going and, you know, do all this different stuff. And so I, Tink is not your first gear lock, but he should be played at some point because it's really an interesting experience. Nicely said. All right, let's uh, finish this up. Mike from the past, what is your final point for Too Many Bones? Did you end in a positive way? No. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> we know where this is going. <laughs> Here's the clip. So I put character variety as my number one, and it is a pro and a con. So on the pro side, you do have four different characters, and they play very differently. That's great. On the con side, not all their abilities are balanced well. That's a little frustrating. You'll tend to like buy the same special abilities in a game. Not so great. We already had a debate about that, and it's, it's a major pet peeve of mine. I do not like leveling games where there are not real options because they have not play-tested and balanced well enough to make things interesting. But the the thing that I'll bring up that kind of bothered me the most and does push this, I think, slightly towards a con, even though, again, I do like how different the four characters are. Peter uh, mentioned that attack dice and defense dice and health and agility are always viable level-ups for any character. A few of the enemies will require you to get certain abilities that can get through their defenses. So that, like, makes you buy maybe one or two dice. But by and large, uh, with the couple of characters that I played most, especially uh, Tantrum, who's kind of like the Berserker, I had the best results and won the game most easily when I just bought attack dice and defense dice, the most basic, boring dice in the game. And all these custom dice and all this complicated player board and these complicated player aids that show me what all my powers are were useless and a total waste of time because all those dice, you use them once and they're gone. And it is in many cases, much better, especially against certain tyrants, to just get a whole bunch of attack and a whole bunch of defense and kick butt and not take any damage. So I'm, I'm very just, I'm frustrated about that. That uh, not only is the leveling samey, but it's very easy to just level the four characters. You, you could level any of these four characters identically and be able to beat some of the tyrants just the same. What? <laughs> I mean, 
I said uh, the worst part about Too Many Bones, apparently, <laughs> is the character variety and all the different gear locks, Liz. Clearly, I'm right. <laughs> What's so funny about that is for me, the, I think that the, the shining jewel of Too Many Bones is the differences among the gear well, locks. Well, I mean, of course I do, too. <laughs> Now, now I think we can both agree on that. D- do you think there's any validity to what I said in the past about uh, like there being kind of set paths and you maybe won't ever use certain skills? Like some skills are too weak in the balance. Do you think that's true sometimes? I think that's sometimes true. I also think that you're going to have certain skills that you always want first. And, you know, Too Many Bones even encourages that with the build suggestions for your characters. It depends on what tyrants you're playing. Because the ones that are shorter, you're not going to experience a longer development time. So you have to play some of those longer games in order to pick up some more of those skills that aren't your kind of core skills. Yes. And, you know, I bet (laughs) I would bet you a hundred dollars that I was playing because this was like the start of the podcast. I wasn't like a full on reviewer yet. Clearly wasn't on the YouTube channel. I would bet that I was like really playing a ton of like Nam and uh, the werewolf guy, like all the shortest gear locks from the main set. And I bet I never even like played uh, one of the really long ones and got to the full extent because, you know, attack and defense become incredibly difficult to level once you have a whole bunch of them. And then even if you want to go a full strategy, which I I agree with you, you aren't going to do a lot of the time, uh, especially I think Undertow with like the dodging enemies, that totally like, yeah, good luck if you... (laughs) Just get a bunch of attack and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. And um, they're definitely characters. You know, everybody has a skill that I like less than all their other skills. And I don't care as much about the consumables sometimes, depending on who it is. But, you know, everything has its place, especially, you know, it's called too many bones. So a lot of it is using the bones and the backup plans to kind of do stuff. And, you know, part of it is having to take the things that come your way naturally Part of it is having favorite play styles. And then again, yeah, part of it is the length of game. Because you're playing a shorter game, you're more likely to go with what you know works or what you know packs a punch. Whereas if you play longer, it's kind of like Skyrim, right? You you get all the really strong skill points first where, you know, you know you're going to be able to use it in battle. But then when you get far enough, you can start experimenting. And I kind of feel like that's what we're looking at. I think in a way, Too Many Bones can be a lifetime game or lifestyle game for a lot of people. And it might need to be because to buy everything you're talking about, like <laughs> 400 to $500 potentially, if you just want to get all the stuff, including the uh, the trove chest. We're not talking about that. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but with it being a lifestyle game, I, I would compare it to things that, of course, I had no idea. Or well, I might have played Lord of the Rings LCG back then, but I certainly hadn't played Arkham LCG, my number one game back then. And, you know, that that's a game where, yes, I know what the strongest builds are, but eventually I want to try out goofy things. You know, I want to build a character where they can't fight at all and they can't run at all. And they just try to find clues really quickly and use like all these crazy cards to escape enemies. So I think too many bones offers that same kind of thing. So even if somebody does have a weaker build or a lesser skill, that's only a problem. If you are focused on winning, if you're early in your play of the game, you know, why not try, uh, is it Duster or Nugget? Who has the dagger that poisons them and is amazing or bleeds them? That's uh, Duster, Duster's dagger. Yeah, Duster's dagger. Like, of course, I'm going to always get that first. That skill is absurdly good <laughs> in so many situations. But what if I just never get it? Like, what if I force myself to not get it just to see how it goes? Like, that's, I think this system offers that kind of thing, especially if you kind of want to invest more time into it. And that can be a, a boon, you know, like... It's cool to have fully balanced skills, and that's a great thing to strive for, but having differences in balance and kind of things that push you in different directions 
and can kind of like even give you like a challenge mode can also have uh, validity and value, I think, if you want to put the time into the game. Yeah, and if you're playing with two gear locks, you can always pick one who's kind of a steady bet and the other one to play with. And so that way you have a chance of survival in the game while also giving yourself some space. I mean, if I want to do something weird, I always just throw whoever it is in with Picket and just kind of let let Picket tank and then just do whatever I want. Picket or Gilly. Gilly just tends to do so much damage for me that the other person can be kind of mediocre and I'll still do okay. Yeah, Gilly's a great character to play. So, I mean, I just pick one of my old reliables and then try to counterbalance them with somebody new. And that seems to work really well. Nice. All right, so you can probably tell through this conversation that both of us really, really love uh, Too Many Bones. And clearly it's been a growing journey for both of us. But just kind of wrap it up. Even though we didn't do our top five, we don't need to hear Mike's uh, Mike from the past Final thoughts. We can tell how he feels. Uh, Liz, how do you feel about Too Many Bones at this moment in time uh, where you are diving deep with it, about to do a Dr. D teaches series with it? What are you thinking? So, okay, like all Chip Theory games, Too Many Bones is it's imperfect in the sense that it's sometimes a little bit bloated. Sometimes the rules have some ambiguities. Um, you know, it's expensive. There is a lot of commitment involved to really seeing the game shine. But at the same time, I really think it's a important achievement in gaming it's just such an interesting system with really amazing character variability it really has that rpg feel with all the different skill trees it is just fantastic in terms of what it can do once you know how to make it run and i've never really played anything quite like too many bones i don't ever expect to again it's really a treasure in my collection not gonna lie yeah and i i fully agree with you I'll say I really love Cloudspire and I really love Too Many Bones. And I've taught both of them on Tabletop Simulator to uh, several groups in the past several months of, uh, you know, COVID quarantine fun. And Cloudspire, I think, is a beautiful game, an amazing game. But I give so many caveats when I recommend that game to somebody. I'm like, well, you might not like it if you don't like this. You might not like it if you don't like that. Eh, This might bother you. Eh, That might not really sing for you. You got to play it this many times before you really enjoy it. Too Many Bones, I think, has a tiny bit of that, like especially the rules. I think it's great if somebody can teach you, but I think almost anybody can enjoy that game once you get over the hurdles. I'll say, I don't know if you'll agree with me, Liz, but I think even though the core four gear locks are a ton of fun in the core game, and even though I think Stanza is a rough one for one of the two gear locks in Undertow, I think Undertow is my favorite entry point for people to kind of learn the game because Duster is awesome. Like Duster is a great, fun character to play around with a lot of ways. Stanza is a nice one to kind of go to advanced mode when you want to uh, try something a little bit tougher. I think uh, the new stuff they have in Undertow is really fun, like the raft. I think the varied uh, first days are great. And I think the rule book is clear. So I think anyone who's trying to learn Too Many Bones for the first time, if you want to buy something, it's also cheaper I would recommend Undertow. But what do you think, Liz? See, that's interesting because I would actually stick to the base game. I do think that Undertow's rulebook is a little bit clearer, but I think that having 50% of your gear locks in Undertow, because there are only two, be as difficult as Stanza, is actually not a great entry point. And the other thing is that if you do want to pick up expansions, but you're not sure you want to pick up the whole thing, I think all the best expansions fit better with the base box. So if you want something like Age of Tyranny or 40 Days in Daylord, those are clearly made with the base box in mind and not with Undertow. So I think that 
for all of its warts, I think the base box is a better place to start, especially because it actually is more economical if you think about the fact that it contains four gear locks. If you want that many gear locks with Undertow, you got to pay 25 bucks each separate. Is it 25 or is it 29? I mean, they're expensive. Yeah, it's yeah, they're expensive. I think I think it might be 30 or so. Well, in any case, we both love this game. Definitely recommend it. Uh, and Mike from the past, he had some good points. I think those some of those were first printing errors. Some of those were me not playing as much as I do. Like I didn't have that kind of rule for myself of how many times I play a game and how deeply I dive into it. So shame on you, Mike. That's too many bones. Uh, definitely check it out. Uh, Liz and I love Chip Theory. All three of those big games are great ones for us. And now they have uh, Burn Cycle coming. Oh man, I want to check that out. But let's move on to Liz's podcast, Beyond Solitaire. So Liz, I just want to say, let me get the gushing out of the way. This is appointment listening for me. Every Monday, Liz has amazingly interesting guests on, talks about the coolest topics, things I have never thought about before. It tends to be, I will say this, and, and Liz, you can disagree with me, but at least what you've covered so far, it tends to be slightly war gaming and historical gaming focused. I think the conversations go far beyond that. But for me, someone who really loves wargaming, loves historical games, loves solitaire wargaming, it's especially great. But I, I don't know. I, I truly think anyone, any game, or just anyone who likes interesting conversations can enjoy this. So there, I, that, that's me. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Liz, you've done an amazing job. So first, why don't you tell us a little bit about it, uh, some of the things you talk about, kind of what your goal was with the podcast, and then we can kind of get into how you started it all. Yeah, so I actually sometimes feel embarrassed talking about my podcast because I feel like it doesn't have a focus. <laughs> but then I think about it, and I realize that it kind of does. So I do talk a lot about war and historical gaming, but it's not because I'm talking about the nitty-gritty technicalities of war games. It's because I think what I'm looking for in my podcast. So for those of you who don't know this, I'm, um, I have a PhD and I'm a post-academic. So I, you know, thought about being a college professor for a while and I love research. So I feel like the podcast is a way for me to get out all of my nerdy instincts. <laughs> so I really like talking about the historical and cultural elements behind board games. I really believe that the games that we play say a lot about us and about our culture I don't think that any game is actually just a game. They're all something that we can learn from in terms of learning about ourselves, learning about how we understand the past, learning about how we construct stories. Um, I'm having uh, Deborah from Geek Gamers come on this Thursday. So that interview will come out in a little bit to talk about her life as a solo RPG enthusiast. You know, what the podcast is supposed to do is kind of take us beyond just this game was good, this game was bad, and look more into what is the game saying why is it saying that? What is its value? And kind of trying to take things to that next level. Yeah, and it is so good. I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head some of the cool topics you've covered. Uh, Liz had two different episodes about professional war gamers, people who actually like create war games to advise military and diplomatic decisions for the U.S. government. Uh, she had some random people on to talk about teaching games. <laughs> One of those was my yeah, one of those was me. <laughs> um, I, and I'm always random, but uh, yeah, that, that was a fun one. And uh, I mean, you had people to talk about uh, the coin series and oh, I don't know. They're so great. I, I just listen to everything. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, my first episode was really fun, actually, because it's somebody who thinks that Monopoly is the peak of modern gaming. But I had a classic scholar on to talk about ancient board games and the importance that they had in society. And it was so interesting to me to start that way, right? Partially because it's somebody who's not part of our normal gaming crew, but also because it was so fascinating to talk to somebody whose main study is ancient games, but who hasn't applied that same attention to like the modern hobby as it blossoms. And yet, you know, his analysis of Monopoly was actually really cool. It was really, it's just so, so cool to talk to somebody who isn't part of like our standard gaming culture. So Liz, you already have the Beyond Solitaire YouTube channel. You already have like an outlet to kind of get your ideas out there. And clearly uh, there you're branching out beyond just playthroughs and reviews and doing like the Dr. D teaches series and all of that. You've already got uh, the Dice Tower where you cover uh, solo games over there. So what do you think, uh, what does the podcast offer differently that you think uh, the YouTube channels either couldn't or wouldn't or didn't provide? So a lot of my stuff is really laser focused on solo gaming, and that's been a very deliberate choice. Uh, I've only reviewed one two-player game ever, and it was Undaunted Normandy, and it was just that good. But, um, you know, my channel is typically for tutorials, playthroughs. I've started doing jigsaw puzzle reviews just because I've been doing so many, and I consider them gaming adjacent. My reviews are for the Dice Tower, and I've just kind of seen myself as like a critic and a game teacher. But I've done the occasional interview in the past, and I just kind of wanted a place to put all of my interviews, because some of the stuff I like to talk about isn't necessarily solo focused, and it's not necessarily game tutorial-ish. You know, I just, I wanted a separate place to put my weirder explorations of gaming. And also, I liked having a podcast because some of the people that I talk to don't necessarily want to be filmed, and they don't necessarily want to be on camera. So having a place to record, you know, audio interviews and put those up was really key. And I mean, I do run my podcast episodes on my channel, but I feel like that's not their main flourishing place. That's just more of a way for people who, you know, don't know about my podcast to find it. Some people do prefer to listen on YouTube, but typically not. So, you know, I wanted a separate holding pen, I guess, for this particular project because, you know, when you, when you ask, like, what is my podcast about? My interviews seem like they're all over the place, but it's actually every single one kind of comes back to similar things. How does this game tell a story? How does this game interpret the historical period that it's in? How, you know, what does this mean in terms of the themes that we gravitate towards? What does that say about us? I'm looking at what games say about us. And that's kind of an academic project that doesn't exactly mesh with what I'm normally doing on my channel. Yeah, and I'll say as a listener... I don't know how many of your podcasts I would be able to listen to in full if it was on YouTube, because I'm not a, <laughs> what is it, YouTube Red or whatever subscriber. So I'm listening, like, even though I said it's appointment listening for me to hear your podcast, I don't listen on Mondays when it comes out. I listen every Wednesday when I go to the grocery store and uh, I'll just queue up. Uh, I'll usually get through two episodes because my wife and I kind of switch off who goes to the grocery store. And I'll just kind of, uh, you know, go through as much Liz uh, Davidson as I can in that one day. And yeah, I mean, I, I love the accessibility of the podcast format, even on top of all the other stuff you already uh, mentioned there. Yeah. And I've actually been, I mean, I'm not perfect about it, but I try to keep my episodes fairly short. I had one go really long because I was just having a blast with two guests and, you know, it just went. Uh, but most of my podcasts are under 40 minutes. I try to keep them closer to 30. And I think that that is a good 
size for the kind of interviews I like to do. And, you know, it's something that's a little bit different from, you know, the big long playthrough or, you know, the 10 minute Dice Tower review. So Liz, just kind of a wrap up this conversation. Uh, I'm clearly hosting a podcast. You're hosting a podcast, uh, but you're kind of closer to that beginning period. So for those out there who think they have uh, some things they'd like to put out there on the podcasting webs, uh, what's your advice for people who want to start a podcast? Uh, what was the biggest challenge for you? And, you know, we should say that your situation is different than maybe a lot of people's because you kind of had the YouTube audience you'd built up over so much time already there, theoretically, ready to follow you along, at least in some parts. So how, how about it? What was really challenging in starting the podcast? What are some of the things you think people need to like be aware of or be careful of? I think the main thing to be aware of is that I feel like I feel personally more beholden to keeping a podcast schedule than I do to keeping a schedule for anything else. My YouTube videos come out at kind of random times. I schedule reviews with the Dice Tower whenever I'm ready to schedule reviews with the Dice Tower. And, you know, I know that that goes against standard, you know, grow your channel advice, have a schedule. Uh, I'm horrible about it. With a podcast, I feel like that's different. I feel like people expect your episode to drop at a certain time every week. And, you know, that that's the format that works best. So I would start think by thinking, do I have enough material to maintain this for a while? So I've been going at this podcast since I think my first episode dropped like May 20th or so. It's, it's a solid few months now. And... You know, that constant, especially if you're like me and you typically host by yourself, that constant need to book guests, make sure that you get stuff recorded, you know, um, have some sort of plan for what you want to do next. I usually try to have a handful of people in mind to get in touch with in case something doesn't work out. You know, it, it requires a lot of planning and kind of a lot of anxiety sometimes because it's like, oh, God, am I going to be able to book somebody for this next episode? Am I going to miss an episode? <laughs> and so... Um, you know, being ready to deal with that and having some sort of plan, I think is good. Um, you need a good microphone, which fortunately I already had. Uh, I've been learning how to edit audio. So deciding how you want to record and how much burden you want to put on the people who come on with you is good. You need to decide if you want to co-host or not. So like, Mike, I know that you have Peter. So, you know, it, there's somebody regularly to record with because I don't have my podcast structured that way. And it's based on having guests. I may occasionally do podcasts that are just me, but for the most part, I'm constantly looking for people to talk to. And that may mean that at some point I need to take a break and kind of refresh. Yeah. I was going to say you, you set yourself some high bars right off the bat to, to produce an episode every week and to have a guest every week. Although I guess, uh, was it a Marco Omni Gamer where you kind of did a two-parter? Yeah, I just did another two-parter with uh, uh, Morgan Guglielmo We talked about uh, games with ancient themes. She's the designer of Pendragon and the upcoming Hubris, which is what we talked about in our most recent episode. I oh, that's right. I, I, I've only heard the first one yet. I've not listened to the Hubris episode yet. Yeah, it was actually really interesting. She had a lot to say about... Morgan is very committed to historical accuracy. And so talking to her about how that works in a game... Uh, format and what you cut and what hurts to cut is was really interesting. Um, you know, she also had some interesting things to say about playtesters because, you know, her goal with the game is to get you in the, the mindset of these Hellenistic kings. And there's somebody who's like not at all in tune with the history that she's in tune with and will do something totally different in her game. It's really, it was fun to hear her talk about that. How dare they? <laughs> 
that is not historically accurate. You would never do that. <laughs> right. But I mean, you know, when you're a, when you're a historical fanatic, like we are, you know, it's sometimes you, you get surprised. It's a really interesting process to, to hear about. Oh, trust me. I, I've had a, even as a non-historical game designer, I've had many play tests that surprised me. <laughs> It's like really you're never going to move you're just going to stay there the entire game that that's that's your okay cool good for you <laughs> yeah the other thing that's interesting about podcasting for i think new people especially is like getting it out there is like is hard i've had an advantage again because i already had you know people that follow me on twitter and a youtube channel so it helps launch the podcast but weirdly i would say the people who listen to my podcast are not a full crossover with the people who watch my channel i've met so many new people from doing the pod, it was, it's actually been sort of surprising. So if you can get it out there and get people listening, you know, I didn't know if my podcast would have any audience at all. Cause it's kind of quirky. Um, it's my favorite thing that I do. I'm, I absolutely love doing it. I feel like in some ways, the things that I'm making for my podcast are maybe the most real me in terms of the way that I think about gaming and the things that I find really exciting, but I didn't know if anybody else would share that at all. And you know, my podcast isn't huge, but the people who listen really comment, like people actually listen to it. And, you know, I think that you have to be looking for your people when you make something like that. Yeah. So a lot of good advice there. Uh, figure out a schedule that you can actually stick to, figure out who your personnel are going to be, um, find something you're passionate about because yeah, it, it, it is work. And <laughs> as Liz noted, maybe even more so than a YouTube channel, you might just be talking into the wind and have like one subscriber for a while. So make sure you care about what you're saying or <laughs> it's not going to be you know, very fun for you to put all that effort in. Although I do think that's good advice for any channel. You know, board game media is very saturated and everybody will talk about, oh, you need something that makes you stand out or, you know, you need to be exciting in some way because all the main formats are taken. I actually don't think that that's the trick. I think that um, just good work and actually caring will eventually win out, but you have to have real conviction in what you're doing and what you're making and its value. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, I don't know if One Stop Co-op Shop is especially unique in anything. Like, I have fast reviews, but now a lot of people have fast reviews. And... <laughs> and we have playthroughs, but there are a billion playthrough places. But yeah, no, I'm with you. Although I don't, I don't know if anybody has Dr. D teaches. So there you go. You you, you found uh, one of your niches now. <laughs> yes. Basically just game tutorials, but make it both short and about heavy games. <laughs> yes, exactly. Totally unique. <laughs> Liz, uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And I said this with uh, the recent uh, episode with Jason Perez, but uh, Liz is also going to be joining us for the kind of round table I'm going to be hosting. I'm going to try to get that set up in the next week or so. Uh, it's going to be hopefully a bunch of content creators talking about kind of how uh, we deal with the stress of quote unquote real life coming in. Not that this isn't real life as well, <laughs> but uh, how, we, how we deal with time pressures and emergencies and uh, coronavirus and all those fun kind of things. So Liz should be there as well. And I'm really excited about that. It should be a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be a good, that's just going to be a good time to see all of y'all. All right. So uh, please go check out Liz on uh, Beyond Solitaire at YouTube, uh, Beyond Solitaire podcast. You're kind of Beyond Solitaire everywhere, aren't you, Liz? Yep. And I'm Liz Davidson on Dice Tower. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Can't put your own brand in there, Brad. I get it. <laughs> all right. And uh, from me and all the One Stop Co-op Shop crew, be good, be safe, be healthy, and we'll see you at the next stop. Thanks, everybody.
Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another Top 5 list.